0: We're in the book of Hosea, chapter number 1, and as already stated, it's really a picture of a lot of generations, not just that generation at that time. It is a situation where this minor prophet supposedly had a, a very important message to deliver and proved to be anything but minor. Jeroboam II is in charge. He's on the throne and the, uh, the the declension and the dissipation of nations has continued to the point that uh, God is really pressed to the limit as far as His patience are concerned. We never see God in the Bible as one who is ex- who is exhausted as far as patience, but. He's pretty close to the edge at this point because of this people that will not respond to what he's trying to do for them. Let's just take a look at a few verses in chapter 1 as we open it up and consider what the prophet had to say as he surveyed the spiritual scenery and gave to us the overview of what they were really like in those days, spiritually speaking. In the word of the Lord that came unto Hosea the son of Berei in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam the son of Joash, king of Israel, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms, and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed a great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went... And he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and I will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bare a daughter, And God said unto him, Call her name Loruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by the bow, nor by the sword, nor by battle, by horses, or by horsemen. Now when she had weaned Loruhamah, she conceived and bare a son, and said Then said God, Call his name lo for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Now there's a lot going on there that uh, we don't see on the surface as far as the print is concerned. But as we consider this particular message today, and it's titled, Like Romeo and Juliet," Juliet, not quite as romantic, Hosea and Gomer. Now, interesting enough, uh, as we consider this, uh, it's a picture. This, This entire book is a picture of what is going on spiritually in the land of Israel. In fact, as we consider it, Hosea is called to show the nation how far from God they really are. And anybody who gets tapped for that responsibility is going to be in a lot of trouble and he's not going to be liked and he's not going to be loved and he's not going to be voted, the, uh, you know, the most uh, admired man of the year. His job it is to stand up straight like a man and tell the nation, you're all a bunch of whoremongers. Did you get that? If you didn't, I'll spell it for you. You are because you have two-timed God. You've left the God who saved you. You have, a, you have aborted the relationship with Jehovah who brought you out of Egypt. Who helped you to defeat idols. Ten plagues were pronounced upon Egypt. And He delivered you. And then through the Red Sea. And then when you didn't have water, He made water come out of a rock. When you didn't have food, He made manna fall down from heaven. Your clothes didn't wear out. Your enemies didn't overtake you. He did all of that, and He brought you into a land of promise, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, a very fertile land, and He enabled you to defeat the seven strong nations that occupied that land. God has been good to you. And now here you are, being unfaithful to God on a level unprecedented in Israel's history. God's not happy about this. God's not going to just stand still and let this go unnoticed or unchecked. For whom the Lord loveth, he chastens. He chastens. Now, this situation is has main characters. First of all, Hosea. Hosea means salvation. It's similar, and it's a spinoff from Hosanna. Hosanna, save now. The thing they cried when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. Hosanna, save now. Hosea means salvation. And he is the salvation of these people. Now, her name, this goofy name, Gomer for a girl, I can't figure that out myself. Her parents must have thought, well, let's see what happens with this. So her name meant completion. And he probably really thought that she would bring some measure of his life to the level of completeness. But I want to go back through this and point out a few things in uh, these verses that I read to you a moment ago, these first nine verses. When it says, Go, in verse 2, and pick a wife of whoredoms, it is not quite clear whether she was already a tramp or she would become a tramp. Uh, I'm, I'm of the opinion that she hadn't become uh, a harlot yet. Because why would he pick her if she had? Of course, he's being told of God to do some, some un, uh, unethical things, I guess, in some way to take her uh, in the first place. But uh, she will be a wife of whoredoms. And I want her to be that way, Hosea, because that's what you people have been to me. And I want your wife to reflect in her life what you reflect in your spiritual lives toward me. The height of unfaithfulness, the height of this uh, business of being untrue, and uh, in the face of all that I've done for you, this is what you've done to me. So that was necessary. And then the names of these children. First of all, we see this child. And it's not enough that you've got a mother named Gomer. Your kid's named Loru Hama. I haven't run across that lately, except in this study, in fact. And it means, not loved. It implies that this is not Hosea's child. Not loved. I, I did not love her to produce this child. And then also, in the next uh, uh, category, in verse number 9, we see this boy that is born, lo Ami, and he is, he is called, not my people which means the same thing, essentially, that this was not my baby. I'm not the father of this child. Your mother had these two children because of her unfaithfulness to me. And so the picture continues to broaden. The picture begins to be brighter. We see uh, more clarity on the screen as we focus in on this woman and the way she is behaving herself around town. And now, if I could back up again, verse number four, and the Lord said to this firstborn, Jezreel will be the, uh, the first boy's name for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel. Do you recall in Jezreel, there was there a man by the name of Naboth? And Naboth is famous because Naboth had something that King wicked King Ahab wanted. Do you recall what it was? He wanted his vineyard. He had, he had a garden of, of herbs there. And Ahab wanted that so badly. And he tried to bargain with, uh, with Naboth. And Naboth said, King, you know the rules. A Jew cannot trade off or sell any land that God gives to his family in the, uh, the, uh, the dispersion that was made upon entering the promised land when the land was originally divided up by Joshua and his, his men. We are not at liberty to sell it trade it, it. we can just occupy it, it goes from generation to generation. And Ahab went home that day, like a spoiled uh, junior high school boy, and he sort of turned his head toward the wall, and he pouted. And Jezebel, the most wicked woman in all the Bible... Jezebel came to him and said, what are you pouting about? He said, well, uh, Naboth's got this vineyard and I wanted to buy this thing, this, this garden of herbs and, and so forth. And, and I wanted to turn it into something for my benefit and he won't trade and he won't sell and I don't know what to do. And I'm just, I'm just all out of sorts. And she said, well, I'll get it for you. And she arranged and orchestrated for this man to be accused of blasphemy against the king and against God. And they killed him and his family there. And, and, and blood stained that area. And God sent Elijah the prophet to say to Ahab, we're going to settle this later on, buddy. And here, all these years later, God says, we're going to settle it. God always settles everything, folks. He may be long, but he'll get there. And he can settle it with America, too. He can settle the blood of 40 million unnecessarily terminated babies. He can settle it. And he will settle it. Because his, his patience runs long, but he never forgets what he's supposed to do. And he'll take care of it, I guarantee you. You say, well, they're extenuating circumstances. Well, God knows what they are, and I'm sure mercy will be applied at that case too. Because he's a merciful God. Now, as far as the other is concerned, we have two Jezreels here in verse 4. We have the Jezreel in the house of Jehu... And then in verse number 5, we have the Israel in the Valley of Jezreel. That is the last day. That is Armageddon, the Valley of Jezreel. That is yet to come. Again, God gets around to it. There's a payday someday. Now, let me repeat the theme and the thesis statement of this whole book, the book of Hosea. The story of Hosea and Gomer is the relationship between Israel and God. That's what it is. From the beginning to the end, it's all about their relationship. Now... There are some very powerful words here. If you'll turn over to chapter number 4, we will read and consider God's indictment. The indictment against the nation through the prophet Hosea. Hear the word of the Lord, verse 1. You children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing, and lying, and killing, and stealing, and committing adultery, they break out, and blood toucheth blood. We spent a week in a, class, a seminary class, a, credit, a class credit for seminary, uh, in the old, old building there at Liberty years ago, and I don't even recall our teacher's name, but he was uh, he was a massive person, and he was in intellect just par excellence, and he just, there's just brains running out of his ears, you know. And that phrase, blood toucheth blood, and uh, it means this, well, it may mean that, well, it may mean the other, and, of course, Charles Ryrie tells you what it means here in the, your footnotes and so forth. But what it meant was, one crime... The the, the crime scene hasn't dried until blood is oozing down over that crime scene for another crime scene. And one crime after another crime after another crime, that's what's going on in the land of Israel. The called out chosen people of God are acting and living out their lives like savages. And then look at what he says here. There's no truth. There's no mercy. There's no knowledge of God in the land. May I point out to you that verse 1 is uh, the explanation for verse 2? You see, where there is no truth, there's going to be swearing and lying and killing and stealing and adultery and blood touches blood. Where there is no uh, mercy or knowledge of God, you get all of these things. I don't know why the geniuses in America haven't figured this out. Part, a large part of our problem today. The problems that we're dealing with right now. And you must not look at this in the present tense. Whatever is going on in our nation today didn't start last week. It go way back over here. Way back over here. I mean, it may go back a hundred years. It may not go back that far. But I'll tell you this. A lot of the money problems started when one of our presidents said, everybody bring your gold and silver in. Because they couldn't do what they wanted to do if it had to be tied to precious metals because there wasn't enough precious metals. So we've got to get off that standard so we can print worthless paper money, which is what we have, worthless paper money. It's only worth what people think it's worth. And if people internationally decide it's not worth as much to them, woo, the tabernacle will be filled that next Sunday. Why is God doing this? God has nothing to do with it. Where there is no knowledge of God, people are capable of doing anything. There will be nothing to restrain them. There will be nothing to stop them. The worst thing that ever happened to public education was this statement, there are no absolute morals. Well, does that mean I can beat the teacher up and get by with it? I guess. Because you can't say I was wrong because there's nothing to say I was wrong to judge it by. I mean, there's no absolute right or wrong. Boy, I wish we'd have had that rule when I was a kid. I could have gotten by. Woo! There's no telling what I could have done. But I had teachers that would come over next to my desk and said, Notice you haven't done anything on this test. Yeah, I noticed it too. Well, it's a sin not to do your best, Lamar. And some of them knew my story. Some of them would occasionally say, It's bad enough about your family and all. You better be bearing down, boy, because you're going to need an education one day. They brought God into it. And you know what? It had a chilling effect on my behavior. I'd get with it for a day or two. But you see, moral absolutes, where there is no truth, where there is no knowledge of God, man is left to himself, and man left to himself can do anything and make no excuse for it. He doesn't have to. He's capable of doing anything. Depravity takes over. And we're in a mess when that happens. That's why I don't understand myself why in a lot of public education a kid is prepared to have a sexual relationship outside of marriage but not prepared to take the college entrance exam. I don't understand that. I thought they were supposed to be educated. Well, let's take a look at it. This is the indictment, blood toucheth blood. In other words, everything is totally out of control. What will we do? Well, the people did what most people do. They offered, first of all, not a prayer of confession and uh, repentance. That is seldom the first thing people do when they're in the mess they're in. They've got to blame other people. These people put on a pretty good show. In fact, we can see it, the shallow cover-up that they offered. Uh, beginning in chapter 6, as we flip over to, to that chapter, we see a number of, of pictures, word pictures, about the spiritual condition of these individuals, the various tribes and so forth. First of all, we see in a chapter 6 and verse 4, O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew it goeth away. Now what is he saying here? He's saying that your spirituality and your goodness is like a morning cloud. And the thing about a morning cloud is that it basically... It's with the early dew, and then it goeth away. What is it saying? Write down the word not lasting. It doesn't last. Your repentance doesn't last. It's like a morning cloud. It's here in the morning. Looks good, but then it's gone by afternoon. And that's the way it is with a lot of people. Repent for a while. Repent for a moment. And God's not looking for that kind of repentance. He's looking for changed lives. This is what's wrong basically with so many of our churches today. They do not call for nor do they inspect and look and see and try to discern for changed lives. You can't be saved unless you're changed. Salvation changes you. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you talk. It changes the way you act. It changes where you go, who you go with, and how you act when you arrive there. It changes everything. The totality of your being is touched. It is altered by the presence of Jesus Christ once He is invited into your life. It's not a form you fill out. It's a life change that you experience. And there's no getting around that. And we we want to believe that if people can make some spiritual noises and say some God words, man, they're there. They've they've got it. Hey, I believe they're in. No, not necessarily. Just watch them for a while and see if that old morning cloud dissipates into the atmosphere. It's not lasting. That was the first indictment here. That was the first shallow cover-up. And then in chapter 7, verse 8, consider this Passage. Ephraim, he hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. What is he? He's a half-baked cake. You say, what's that like? Well, I've told this story before. So many times I won't get in trouble anymore for telling it, but... My mother used to fry cornbread. She used to fry cornbread, and usually that accompanied a very... Um, exquisite dinner consisting of cooked cabbage and pinto beans and if you don't know what that is you're just you're not saved that's all i can say <laughs> but she could fry those little round cornbread thing you know and they, it was really good that was before they got all the bad stuff out of crisco it's a wonder we're not dead but it was good that's good eating well i got married and so i told her i said this is what i really like sometimes i like beans Cooked cabbage and, you know, cornbread. So Debbie cooked me some cornbread. Now, my little bride could cook. She hadn't cooked that, but she could cook. I bit into my cornbread. It was like a chocolate-covered cherry. <laughs> only it didn't have, a, you know, a cherry in the center. It had uncooked goo <laughs> that ran out on my lip. Now that was the first problem. The second problem was, I made the worst mistake that any human being who's just been married a little while can make. You want to know what it was? This doesn't taste like mothers. (laughs) And she said, well, maybe you ought to go over there and get her to cook you (laughs) some. Nobody in this world cooks them any better than she does now. And it didn't take her long to figure it out. But that was that's a big disappointment when you bite into a piece of cornbread and it runs out on your lip. It's traumatic. You could need therapy for something like that, you know. These Ephraimites, half-baked cakes. They looked good on the outside, but on the inside they weren't done. What is the problem with Christianity in America today? People look good on the outside, they look good while they're sitting in church, they look good while they're going to church, but they're not done inside. There's a work of sanctification that has never been quite complete in their life. They've never quite been to the highest rung of the ladder where they realize it's just Jesus and nothing else. Just Jesus, that's all I need. And I'm in this thing for the long haul. No matter what happens, I'm going to serve Him. And I'm not going to get my feelings hurt because I'm going to check my feelings at home before I come to church. And I'm not going to be outdone by what's going on around me in my nation. Whether you like the election results or you don't like the election results, I got news for you. It didn't shake heaven one bit. Nor did the last one before this one or that one before the other. Or all the way back to the beginning of this nation. We need to finish, we need to mature, we need to be done, thoroughly cooked, if you please. All the way to the center, that we're totally mature. A cake that's fully baked and available for use to the Lord. The nation of Israel, these people were so sorry. Half-baked cakes. Then there was another thing. Look in verse number 11. Ephraim is also like a silly dove without heart. Now I forgot to give you this uh, this statement next to uh, the half-baked cake. Right, not deep, because that's the thing. Not deep. They weren't deep. And then verse eleven, right next to that, not stable. For you see, that's what a silly dove will do. A dove is supposed to carry the message. A dove is supposed to take the message to the right destination and it has to get it there as quickly as possible and be dependable. But a silly dove just uh, flies off in any and all directions and you can't depend on that dove. That dove is not stable and that's the way we are. Well, we've been exposed to people this past week that needed Christ. We had opportunities to witness to people, but we either didn't want to take the time or we, were, we just didn't want to be embarrassed talking a God talk uh, out in some public place like Walmart or some, at the gas pump or some other place. We're supposed to be the messengers, the, 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 uh, uh, the people who uh, take the Word of God to the public, what they desperately need, we have, you see. We're ambassadors for Christ. And Ephraim was just totally unreliable, and so are we in many ways. And then verse number 16, this is the last one. They return, but not to the Most High God. They are like a deceitful bow. Now, a bow is a very important thing in the, the, uh, the life of Israelites, But this bow is not dependable. It doesn't shoot accurately. Uh, It doesn't project the arrow where you aim it. Uh, It veers off to the left or off to the right. Or or you cant the bow or it has a built-in cant to it or something. And it's just not dependable. And all of these were terms used to describe these people. Israel by Hosea. As he would go out on a nightly basis and find his wayward wife, literally take her out of the bed of some other person and bring her back home. While all the nation and all the neighbors were saying, Hosea, why do you fool that wicked woman? Why don't you just take care of the children and just let her go to the dogs if she wants to go? Why do you do this? You're a good man. Why do you suffer this kind of reproach? Everybody in this village, everybody in this town knows your wife. It is just, she's just trash. She's a harlot. And she's open for anyone and everyone who comes along. Why do you put up with this? And Hosea would say, Because the Lord our God does the same with you, this nation, that has played the harlot, and you have left your God, and you have worshipped these other false gods, the gods of gold and brass and wood. You've done this, but he stayed with you because he loves you. And He wants you to come back and stay back. And so night after night, He would have to do this. Now, God says in His Word that there is a punishment for this. Now, I want you to look at this in chapter 2, because this ties in with stewardship. And that's what we're doing at this point in time. This is the stewardship of our our heart and the stewardship of our goods. And notice, if you will, beginning in verse number 8. He's, God is talking here. He says, "For she did know, or she did not know, that I gave her corn and wine and oil, and multiplied her silver and her gold, which they prepared for Baal." Now, what is Baal, ladies and gentlemen? That's that's one of those heathen gods. It's a false idol, right? He goes on to say in verse number 9, Therefore I will return and take away my corn in the time thereof, and my wine in the season thereof, and will recover my wool and my flax given to her to cover her nakedness. Now wool and flax are, are... they are uh, fibers, they are necessary to produce clothing. And God says, at the proper time, I'm going to take back my corn. At the proper time, I'm going to take back my wine. And at the proper time, I'm going to take back her clothing that the, with which she covers her nakedness. Verse 10, And now I will discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and none shall deliver her out of my hand. I will also cause her... Cause all her mirth to cease, her feast days, and her new moons, and her Sabbaths, and all of her solemn feasts. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she hath said, These are my rewards that my lovers have given to me. And I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. Verse 13 And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them, and she decked herself with earrings and her jewels. And she went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. Now this, this person is so desperate, so desperately stupid and foolish in her heart. This, is, this would be Gomer, but it was, it, the bigger picture was it was the nation of Israel. She says in verse number 12, uh, I will destroy her and her fig trees, whereof she hath said, These are my rewards, for my lovers have given me. Who gave her her productivity? God did. Well, you see, it's the amazing thing, like verse 9, I will in return and take my corn and the time thereof, my wine and, and the, the, to recover the wool and the flax and so forth. She has all of this stuff, these blessings, and she gives them to the gods of this world. Do I need to elaborate on this? There are people in this room who've never tithed Because you don't have enough money. Because you blow enough money on this world, the world system, junk, and give God nothing. And right now you're under an economic curse. and We'll talk about that. We'll have a lot of fun with that in a few weeks. Because all of the saving in this world is not going to do you any good if you don't honor God. Because the solution is not going to be found on Wall Street. It's not going to be found on moving your stuff around fast enough so you don't lose but a little of it. You can't move it fast enough to avoid what God's going to do to this nation unless we get back on the track. He is our judge. He is our caregiver. He is the one who's blessed us. He is the one who's poured it out on us. It's amazing how we get that all, all out of proportion as Gomer did. Her, her idea was, I want to give this to my lovers because they've given it to me. Oh, honey, the world didn't give it to you and the world can't take it away. It came from God and nobody can get it out of His hands. If He decrees that you're going to have it and you're going to be all right, you're going to be all right. I'll guarantee it. Just honor Him. And so, this is the punishment that God is going to pronounce. It is an economic curse that will fall on them. And then... We see in closing this morning the cause of it all. If we turn over to chapter 4. Verse 1, I read a moment ago, but allow me to read it again. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, no mercy, no knowledge of God in the land. Verse 6 is the biggie. This is the finale. Here it is. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. I know this was a relationship between a real man and a real unfaithful woman. And it was designed for this preacher to be able to say in his life what was going on between a real nation and a real Jehovah. But does it not transcend time? And do you not believe with me that it has an application in America today? Our people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But you see, we don't want that. We don't want to hear that. We want some expert to tell us what to do. Well, the experts will be found in little churches. The average attendance and the average size in America is 85 people or less faithful preachers stand up week after week and say thus saith the Lord open the word of God and just believe every word of it because the 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 thing that has to precede every message is a profound belief that it's true that this book is in fact true and America God shed his grace on thee yes but where are we today we are in a very bad situation because we won't take in the knowledge. Our, our nation, many years ago, you won't remember this, you'll have to read and study to find this out. Mortgages were seven years, that's all they were. Well, that's what the Bible said. After seven years, everybody had to pardon the debt. If Somebody had a debt with you at seven. When seven years was up, you let them keep whatever was left over. So you didn't loan them too much. But then we wanted to charge these exorbitant amounts for homes, for houses. So we had to stretch that out to about 30 years to be able to get everything we wanted, see? Because nobody could pay it. The scripture says something about all of these other issues that we're dealing with now. About absolutes, moral absolutes. About parents being parents and let the children be the children. Not reverse, not kids telling parents what to do. And not goofy parents wanting the kids to be their pal. You need to be the parent, not the pal. Don't worry about the pal. That'll come later. When they have their child, then they'll come back and say, Help me, help me, help me. (laughs) You can be the pal then. And all of these things, these precepts and all of this wonderful stuff and and all of the things that pertain to health. Just a teaspoonful of honey that hasn't been heated beyond 180 degrees, has 165 different enzymes, not to mention if taken regularly, you can immunize yourself to pollen that'll be out next spring, because you already had your pollen this spring, if it was local honey. It's amazing, God's Word's got it all, it's right here. But we're destroyed for lack of knowledge, and if you don't know, then somebody else will tell you what to do. As someone once said, if people don't know how to read, then we'll have to tell them what to believe. No, I want to know myself from the pages of Scripture. So now, where are you today? Where are you in your relationship with Jehovah God? Are you having a good love relationship? Or have you been unfaithful? Not a lot of time to read this, but a lot of time for TV. You're wasting your time. That's the other team preaching their message into your brain. Relentlessly hammering it away. Read the Word of God. No time for prayer. Haven't prayed for anybody. I haven't tried to feel what some of our church families have felt in recent weeks. That's called empathy. When you feel like they feel. And but for the grace of God, we could just change the names and it could be your family. We don't know. Where have you been in your relationship with the Lord? Have you thanked Him? These songs we sang today were calling us to accountability, calling us to accountability, to account to the Lord. He's blessed us. He's poured it out on us. He's been good to us. And He'll see us through. I mean, He'll give you the confidence you need that no matter what is happening in our world around us, we're going to be all right. In fact, we're subject to take a flight any moment. Any moment, we could be gone. But until that time, we've got to be faithful to His cause and faithful to His Word, not like this, this woman. Or we'll just rename this, we'll change the name from Tabernacle to First Church of Gomer. She was unfaithful. And she had a good husband. We've been unfaithful, and we have a great and loving Lord. Aren't you glad he doesn't forgive us based on how much forgiveness we deserve? But he gives us how much forgiveness he wants to, total forgiveness, and he pardons our sin. He's the first real father I've ever had. And he'll re-father you if you'll let him. Let's stand for prayer.